Welcome to the Manage Tools Podcast for Monday, April 23rd, 2007. Set the bar high. Hi, this is Mike, and on behalf of Mark and I, welcome to Manager Tools. Before I go on, though, Mark and I want to pass on our thanks to everyone who attended our inaugural Manager Tools Effective Manager Conference this last week. Needless to say, I think we all had a great time, and I must say, it was truly an incredible group of managers eager to learn and contribute, and that they did in spades. So thanks again, everyone, and I can't imagine how it could have possibly been a better conference for the entire Manager Tools team, Mark, Travis, Michael, Kathy, and I. What a week, and we'll remember it forever. Thanks again. With that, on to today's cast. This cast shares our most important principle in the Manager Tools Effective Hiring Process Toolkit, Set the Bar High. Now, Mark and I believe that the biggest invisible organizational personal failing is hiring poorly. It's really that simple. The vast majority of companies we know do a terrible job at this compared to what they could do easily in hiring the right people. We've said the following about a hundred times. You know, if you're in a plant, you have systems for all sorts of things. We, we test the raw materials. We, te- we test the production processes. We reject anything that's even just a little off. In financial systems, we have financial standards for investing capital that are incredibly rigorous and monstrously difficult to prepare for at times. We have rigid standards for expense reporting, for heaven's sakes. And then for the most important decisions we make, personnel, we leave the decision to some senior managers who's never been trained, never been given feedback, is never held accountable, and mostly goes with their gut. That's like trying to make a gorgeous wedding cake substituting dirt for flour and adhering strictly to every other step in the process. It's silly. Now we can't cover the entire process in this one cast, but we can start. Let's go. I suspect we're going to hear you in high dudgeon today. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> because? Because I'm indignant, which indignant. is the root. Ooh. It is the root of high dudgeonness, I think. <laughs> and you are indignant because? Because I'm tired of managers about complaining, complaining about their jobs being so hard because of the mistakes they themselves have made. And said differently, a little bit off the soapbox, we can understand you. And that would be because specifically... Uh, Sorry. Uh, Look, it just pains me to see how grossly inefficient and ineffective managers are at hiring people for their teams. Uh, We hire poorly, and then we complain because the very people we hired don't turn out to be as good as we think they should be. When, in fact, of course, we were the ones that made them the offer to begin with because we don't know how to offer because we don't know how to interview in many, many cases. It's like complaining about the clothes you bought a week ago. Um, you decided. You bought them. Then you picked them out of your closet this morning, and now you're complaining about them. It's like, sheesh. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so maybe you only Self-inflicted had one. wound, right? Yeah. Well, maybe you only had one foot up on the soapbox. I'm I'm really, you know, to be honest, I don't feel like I'm on a soapbox. I, I think this is a really bad problem, and I think it is completely hidden in, in large part because here's something interesting for you. Think of it this way. How do most managers learn about hiring processes? 
by going through it on the other side. And the fact is, the two sides of the hiring process are going through a very different experience, um, and most managers never study the hiring side of it. Um, and so it's a completely hidden problem. People don't realize that a large part of managerial time is spent solving problems that they themselves created on the front end in yeah. terms of talent, sourcing and recruiting and interviewing and hiring and so on. Yeah, I, I will completely agree with you on that one. You know, you know, it's it's really it's, it's such a systemic cause of so many other downstream yep. issues: performance, retention, succession yep, yep. planning, productivity, yep. profitability. I am so glad you said profitability. And I, I, you know, most managers don't get that piece. In fact, let me just say something real quick. I, I actually. Um, I, I had a discussion today with somebody about profitability of managers, and the one guy said, ah, you know, I just don't think about profitability, and my eyes just about bugged out of my head. So Your, your head most almost ma- exploded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> most managers don't get that, so explain it. Okay, I mean, easy. If you hire the wrong person, or not even the wrong person, just someone who doesn't scale as well as you'd like, right. because of that, you can't get them, you can't give them more of the team to manage. Right. But you need to get more work out of the group they're in. Right. Because you can't get more out of the group you already have, which is what managers are supposed to do. Yes. You have to hire more people. And when you hire more people to do work that your competitor does with less people, they are more profitable than you. Yes. Perfect. And, you know, I really think there ought to be a class in managerial economics. Oh, that's a great idea. So, so let's, let's create a series on it. Let's teach the basics of how managers exist in an economic framework right? and how managerial behavior affects right. the environment right? and then how effective managerial behavior creates more economic value and how ineffective behaviors destroys value and profits and, ultimately, companies. Dude, best idea of the month, maybe even of the year. I can see this being uh, a foundational set of casts, teaching not so much management behavior – Although that obviously it's a direct correlation to it, but rather the fundamentals of where management fits into the systems of capitalism, finance, all the stuff we deliver to coaching clients tangentially yeah. as supporting arguments, not exactly what we're paid directly for, because we're all in our work we're always paid for behavior change. Um, but yeah, absolutely, this is the underlying rationale for everything that we do. Cool. Okay, we're, we're going to do it, definitely. Yeah. Okay, good. great little sidebar, but so let's get back to hiring. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, there are three concepts we want to share about our hiring principle, our fundamental number one hiring principle of set the bar high. And they are time is only our enemy if we allow it to be. Every warm body has a halo now, but horns later. <laughs> and finally, we avoid false negatives, but in fact, false positives are the real danger. Yeah. Well, the first one I know incredibly well. You know, time is only our enemy if we allow it to be. Right, right. And to me, that means that too many managers rush to make hiring decisions. This is where you're going to start feeling me grabbing from my soapbox. I, I totally agree <laughs> I'm with you. pulling it away from you. <laughs> Why don't you let me talk about it a little bit since um, I can talk and I really don't need the soapbox. Fair enough. Here's what I saw over and over again. First, we start with an assumption. Any one individual manager's hiring needs are completely delinked from the larger economic forces affecting that company. Brilliant. Totally agree. See, this is, this is somewhat related to the whole concept that applying a bell curve to annual valuations in all parts of the organization is a statistically dumb 
stupid thing to do. Yes, totally agree. Yes. No one manager is a pure representation of the org. Right. Right. But manager, the, map, the map is not the territory. The sample is not the population, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most managers' teams are small enough that losing one person is an enormously important factor in productivity. Right. What this means from a personnel perspective is that the manager's needs, whether they want to hire or not, do not have any relationship to whether they will be allowed to hire. Okay. And because of that, managers get busy at their level, and they forget about the larger forces at work. And we only think about hiring when we need to fill an opening. Core fundamental issue. Totally agree. Yeah. Sometimes that happens when the organization suspends hiring or slows hiring or requires higher approvals for right, hiring right. or suggests not hiring or only hires for crucial roles. Right, right. A number of reasons. At the manager's level, that is a complete and utter train wreck waiting to happen. Yeah, and if you're a manager who's been through just one of those kinds of situations, you suddenly, quote, get smart <laughs> and start to learn that if you have a need and you can get a requisition, you can get an open wreck. For those of you who don't know, this is where the phrase open wreck comes from, open requisition. You darn well better fill it fast. If you can get one, because you never know when the powers are be, you're going to, for whatever magic ball, they look at magic eight ball, they say, wow, things aren't looking good. Of course, what they're looking at is the market and quarterly performance and the shareholders and so on. But regardless, dealing from all that, um, you know that if you get an open wreck, if you, can, if you can motivate your boss or your boss's boss to give you an open wreck, you better fill it fast. And that's... The problem. <laughs> we celebrate managers who hire quickly because of organizational forces that are out of their control. Right. But this too often, to put a, to put a horseman spin on it, right. ends in tears when we put speed over quality. Man, I wish I'd said that. You ends have said tears. that. tears. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> okay. Okay. Manager tools, though. What do we do? Okay. Easy. Truly effective managers are always interviewing always developing their bench, always ready to pull the trigger on someone so that when they can get an open rec, they can hire immediately, thus eliminating any need to rush before the open rec gets squashed. Okay, but if you're saying they're going to move quickly, how, how, how is that not rushing? Well, let me put it in... in, in talk, talk down to me. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> because I always have someone in mind for most of the positions in my org, and I'm talking to those people all the time. Some of them already work at the firm, some somewhere else. Right. Some of them are outside the company, friends or competitors or consultants. My point here is that rather than trying to hire within the windows the company allows, effective managers do all the vetting and screening well in advance of the rec being open. They extend their time in front of the need rather than compressing all that work into the official process. Compressing a hiring process is always a bad idea. That is, I, you totally, I, I am bowing to you, sir. That is fabulous. <laughs> and, and I think managers don't realize that, the, and of course you can see oh, how this all fits into um, uh, relationship building and not networking, but building a network. And so you may be having coffee with somebody over the course of six or eight weeks, recognizing that one of your directs um, may in fact, uh, maybe um, his kids are getting older or it's June and one of his kids graduated from high school and so suddenly he's more open to the possibility of going somewhere else and you know your retention, your gut feel about retention is you may lose somebody. And so for three, four, five months in advance perhaps, you're thinking, I've got I've to be ready for someone with someone to fill that gap, and I've already made all the evaluations I need so that when it actually comes time to do dot in the I's and cross the T's, it's already done. Or, yeah. or, or we're ready to do it very, very quickly because all the work of deciding 
has been done in advance. Yeah, that was my experience, particularly yeah. of the best managers I had or the best managers I saw every day. Right. And you doubt. get better folks because you take your time and you reduce your chances that you miss something on the front end that could create problems later. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Right. But before that, how, how about this idea of halos and horns concept? I, I love it. it sounds It's a little ringy. It's, yeah, you know. uh, it's a pretty simple one, though. Um, we start with a basic premise. Which is that every warm body has a halo. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm going to have I, I said this once. I said this once in response. It's been 10 years or so to a question um, I got um, from a group of MBA students. What I mean by that is that sometimes hiring managers begin to get fearful of being able to hire. Or they're desperate to just fill a spot. Um, uh, they have an open position, not an open rec necessarily, they have an open position and they know what it's doing to the total production of their organization. And they begin to think, look, I- I'd love to have another Bob. He's really good. Um, but I can't have him, nor could I get anyone near the quality of Bob or for that matter, the quality I want or whatever. So I'm in trouble. On the other hand, anyone, and here's the danger, anyone would be better than no one. Yeah, and, and to me, that may be the most dangerous thought that millions of hiring managers have. In fact, I would argue some managers do that simply because they think to themselves, I'm a manager now. I don't want to go back and do the work that I got promoted out of um, or do more of it because I don't have time to both manage and do work. So suddenly, no, but based on the, that kind of mentality that managers have, we're not replacing Bob. We're, quote, avoiding zero productivity in Bob's slot. And since really even a warm body um, will improve productivity for our international friends, uh, a warm body means any human that doesn't have – it has no uh, 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 qualifications for the job, but technically they're alive, so they're warm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, does, it, doesn't mean, um, yeah it doesn't mean somebody who's shortly after death. Yes, right. You're right. <laughs> uh, and, and since really even a warm body will improve productivity above zero – we literally start getting comfortable. In fact, I've heard managers use phrases over the course of weeks. You can feel them talking themselves into looking for a warm body. Anybody, dear heavens me, just give me anybody, somebody to get some of this work done because my other good workers are really mad saying, how come you can't fill this position? Yep. And so the requiem begins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, look, we bring, we bring somebody in. Right, the warm body. They help us out a bit, but we send. I, I think we send such a pernicious message that we end up not just shooting ourselves in the foot; we shoot the team in the head. <laughs> um, we, we, we look, and and things are the way things are today. We've hired them into the job we have today. But the job is always growing, always requiring more. I love people who say, well, I, I, I like this job because it's never changed. Oh, that's insane. It doesn't happen that way. Oh, the job is always growing, always requiring more. But the warm bodies among us do not grow. They start out with halos because they're better than zero productivity. So they look good to us. Um, and in nine months, a devil is born, complete with horns. We failed to set the bar high enough. The speed of change and competition passes them and therefore the rest of the team and therefore us by, and you are suddenly spending all of your time with that devil that used to have a halo. Do not let this happen to you. 
Amen to that, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I tell you, um, I've just seen it too often, and um, people say, "Well, you know, he's he's um, he's really this guy. I'm losing is really good, and so I, you know, I've got some other people that are good, and even if I hire below average for the team, that'll be okay." And then suddenly, below average becomes, "Well, they really can't meet the needs, but I can save money and I can keep more in my budget for hiring somebody else, and I've really got to have somebody." And the next thing you know. The team's morale is shot, and you wonder why. And and, and here's a dangerous thing as well, Mike. Um, at the same time that the team begins to have bad morale, or, or put it a little bit differently, the team begins to consume the manager's mistake. The manager has solved his or her problem. I got somebody. I'm feeling good. I'm back to doing my work. I don't have to go do this recruiting thing. So the manager is across the river and dry. At the same time, the team is beginning to consume the miserable meal that the manager has prepared for him. So yeah, don't, the, yeah, the manager's across the river dry, and the uh, the others are behind him swallowing the waters. They try to yeah, keep their exactly. heads above water. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Finally, the fear of false negatives versus the danger of pa- false positives. This is a powerful one. Yeah, uh, this is the one that gets me almost, almost on the soapbox. Careful. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, I promise, no soapbox. I promise. But look, let's go back and share another basic premise. Any simple decision boils down to a yes or no. Are we, will we, won't we, should we, shouldn't we? And there are two possible outcomes, either good or bad, to any decision. Now, I know that sounds very simplistic, but it works for me. If you graph this as a two-by-two matrix, you have, on the left axis, the choice of hiring or not hiring. We'll put hiring on the top and not hiring on the bottom. That represents our decision. Um... Across the horizontal axis, you have candidate fit, okay? Every candidate is either a good candidate or a bad candidate. We'll put bad candidates on the left and good candidates on the right. Now, obviously, that's not a decision. That's a a future state based on how well they do. Um, But obviously, we we would like our decisions to intersect appropriately. Uh, And I'm hoping we can get we can put a put this up on the website, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll put a picture of this on the website. Okay, good. So when you picture the two by two matrix that we're talking about here, the top right box quadrant two is an ideal outcome. We've chosen we've hired that's the top a good candidate, which is the right. Okay. The top left box quadrant one is also a hire, but they're a bad candidate. This is what we call a false positive. In other words, we said yes, a positive decision, but the candidate isn't right, so they're false for us. Okay? The bottom left box, quadrant three, Q3, is a not higher and a bad candidate. In other words, a good outcome. We yeah. didn't hire somebody we shouldn't have. Nice work interviewers. You know, for whatever reason, that person's not a fit. So bottom left and top right are both good outcomes. We chose the right person. We said no to the wrong person. Okay? And then the last box, Q4, the bottom right box is a not hire but of a good candidate. That's what's called a false negative. We've said no, negative, to somebody who would have been good. Right? So that's false. Okay, so we have a disappointing result in Q4. So um, Q2 and Q3 are good results. We said yes to the right candidate, no to the wrong candidate. And Q1 and Q4 are bad results for us. Okay, so now, 
What does the matrix, as we look at it, tell us about managers' hiring practices? Well, because we're always feeling understaffed, and because we're feeling pinched on time, most managers' primary motivation is not the caliber of the candidate, but rather the need to hire. I'm going to say that again because a lot of people would say, oh, no, Mark, I'm always looking for quality. Um, most managers' primary motivation, in my experience, is not the caliber of the candidate, but rather the need to hire, particularly if the director of the manager comes by and says, you know, you got an opening. You better fill it before that rec closes. Better fill it. We really need productivity. Better fill it. You know, people look at you and wonder how good a person you can be in terms of promoting yourself and getting promoted yourself. And the good managers are people who know how to fill openings. They're clever. They have good networks. They have good people out there. They know good recruiters. They know what to do. They just heap it on top of you. Um, so, so here's what happens is because most managers' primary motivation is not caliber candidate but rather the need to hire, we tend to focus our thinking on hiring, which actually is Q1 or Q2. We want to hire. We want to fill our opening. We don't like the pain we are in right now because Bob's position is not getting it, giving us any productivity without Bob in it. And we can't imagine having this pain to stay for what might be a long while if, heaven forfend, there's a hiring freeze or a pending layoff or a reorg or whatever. So most managers' bias is to hire. Young managers, in fact, have a really rabid bias to hire. They, they just want to go through the process and have the power of making an offer, even if they do the mm. operations of it clumsily. That's my experience. Um, you find that to be true? Um. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not even done yet. Look, if you ask most managers who have an opening, the thing that scares them the most is that they'll have a chance to hire someone and they won't. In other words, because of speed and fear of losing a good candidate, surely they're hard to find, right? And this guy is he right here. He's ready. We are biased to offer. And in a nutshell, we are so busy avoiding the false negative of not offering someone who's good our bias for actions mean our bias for action means we both decrease the chances of a false negative, yay, and increase the chances for a false positive. And the great, and this is so important, the great, terrible, almighty, wicked sin of all time in hiring is not a false negative, but rather the death, death of the false positive. Wow. There, now I've talked for a long time. Yeah, that well, that that was that was a lot. Yeah, but look, look um, I, I don't want people to think I'm on the soapbox here. I, I'm I'm going to repeat myself again. The greatest insidious management mistake is being so interested in hiring and filling an opening that we become afraid of the false negative. In other words, having someone who's good and we miss them. But, but but that motivation to avoid that missing someone good drastically increases the chance of the much worse false positive. Yeah. Put differently, we should do everything in our power to avoid at all costs the false positive. Hiring the wrong person is so deadly to productivity, morale, efficiency, and effectiveness 
that it is to be avoided at all costs. Yeah, you know, you see this at the other end of the talent spectrum when we let somebody go. I talk to hundreds of managers who are dealing with people who are way underperforming. I'm not suggesting this is true in all cases. We believe in coaching and feedback and growing and improving people and so on. But there is a time when people have been given the level best of the organization. We have to, unfortunately, ask them to go and admit a management failure that we either hired the wrong person or didn't do what you're supposed to do. And so they didn't meet our needs and they didn't meet the goals we set for them. So we have to let them go. We have to terminate them or ask them to resign. And inevitably, managers hesitate. They pause. And um, it takes too long. And, oh, you can't hire anybody here. And, oh, it needs more documentation. Or HR says I can't or whatever. You know, it's a, it's a, the union says I can't or whatever. And in the end result, the moment a manager does it, it's never as bad as he or she thinks. And everybody always looks at the manager and the tone in the office is, what took you folks so darn long? Yeah. Um, because they were dealing with the death of the false positive. Hiring somebody who's not right for your organization is so painful, so destructive to productivity, to morale, to everything, that it, it, it is worth avoiding to the point of not hiring. It's yeah. that <laughs> worth it to simply leave Bob's position open and get zero productivity to avoid the chance that you haven't done your due diligence, you haven't done the work right, you haven't set the bar high enough, and so therefore uh, you end up hiring the wrong person. And it's just, it's horrible. Yeah. And if you follow the first step we talked about, which is always interviewing, always being ready to hire, you don't have to put yourself in this position. So it's not as if we're recommending, you know, you have to go without. We're just saying do the work up front so you don't put yourself in the situation of making the the, the bad hire and, and just destroying your team. Yeah. Uh, um, look, you have to start thinking now about making the hiring process tougher. It, it is a great feeling to look to your team and say, look, I know he was pretty good. I know we had a pretty good feeling about this person, and I'm going to say no because I want more than pretty good because when I look at you, I don't see pretty good. I see great. Yeah. Um, but that, that's what you've been talking about, though, right, is the, the, this first principle of hiring, which is set the bar high. Right, right. Okay, so, so how, do, how do we recommend folks go about that? Okay. Well, first, look, I'm not saying we make it administratively burdensome. That's a false kind of toughness. You can do that. Uh, I see it happen all the time, but, but that irritates the wrong group of people, which is the people you most want to hire. By tough, I mean that the default answer when you're interviewing, when you're hiring, must be no. Okay. Interviews are an artificial reality designed by companies to keep people out. You should be thinking no all the time. If you go through an interview and you have doubts, walk away courteously. If your staff expresses concerns, and please tell me if, if a manager is hiring that the staff is also involved in the interview process. If your staff expresses concerns, say no. If you think more interviewing will tell you more good things to combat some weaknesses, don't interview again. Say no now. If you're looking for good things in the interview because you've got some bad things, don't. Say no now. If you have doubts about their ability to handle at some point the next job, say no now. Don't look for reasons to hire when you interview. They're always there. In fact, if you've got any kind, if you're at a larger organization, you've got somebody probably doing some screening, they've already looked at those things. Your job is to whittle it down to one and to look for reasons to say no. Uh, if you're in a small company, 
It's even more important whether you have somebody screening or not. For those of you in small companies, the bar should be exceptionally high because that feeling you get among 20 or 10 or 50 people is so close, so important, you don't want to bring somebody in who's going to stir the pot in the wrong direction. There's nothing wrong with people who are creative or different or whatever, but you've got to interview for the values of the company and for that job and for the next job as well. Um, If you go through an interview process and you find no reasons to say no, then and only then, start thinking about hiring. Start thinking about it. And then dig a little deeper. Yeah, sounds like in your company, no one ever gets hired. <laughs> no. You, now, look, I, I promise that's not the case. Managers know how to do this, and they want to do it. The danger is they'll fall prey to the errors we started with. Time, halos, fear of losing a rack, whatever. This is a different process than most managers are used to, but it works. Staff love it. Oh, yeah. Except for the ones who say they're always busy. And if you haven't figured it out yet, those people will always say that. No matter how little work you give them, they're just too darn busy. The vast majority of staff love it, and you can improve productivity without adding any more people just by setting a high standard. Look, you say, you folks are good. I won't hire just anybody. They're going to say, wow, okay, we're somebody. Yep. Let's just raise the bar. Yep. Okay, summing up. Our fundamental principle is set the bar high, and there are three concepts that underpin that. Time is your enemy only if you let it be, because you wait until you have an open requisition to start a formal process rather than having a network out there and constantly interviewing and sourcing internally and externally. Every warm body has a halo now but horns later. Do not set the standard of, I want to go from zero productivity with an opening to some productivity with a warm body. That doesn't work. Set a high standard. Don't hire just for this position. Hire for the next one as well. Um, And we avoid false negatives. But false positives, hiring the wrong person into your team and dealing with that misery for six months, nine months, a year, two years until somebody finally lets you let them go because you have to admit you made a mistake, which many managers are very uncomfortable doing. The false positives are the real danger in hiring. You got it. Thanks, my friend. My pleasure. Awesome. See ya. Thanks, everyone. As always, Mark and I appreciate your continued support. As we shared with folks at last week's uh, conference, we feel like we're the two luckiest guys in the world. Thanks for making that happen. So, until next week, everybody, so long. So long.